Set aside prayer. God, please set aside everything I know about you, God, the steps, recovery, the big book, what's best for me, what's best for others. Especially help me let go of all my old ideas so I can live on your truth. Drop my rock. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and mercy on me. A sinner, help us to glorify you tonight by carrying your message. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we are uh, going through the book again, and um, we're in there, more about alcoholism. And I think we finished up the last uh, meeting where we were finishing with the man of 30 years. And um, he had, uh, he was an alcoholic who decided, and we're on page 32, who had decided that he couldn't drink if he wanted to be a success. And uh, so he decided that he would, re he w when he became successful, retired, then he could drink again, then he died. And their point is that it says on page 33, this contains, case contains a powerful lesson. Most of us have believed that if we remain sober for a long stretch, we could thereafter drink normally. But here's a man who had 35 years found he was just where he had left off at 30. We have seen the truth demonstrated again and again. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. What that means is that if I'm an alcoholic, I'll never be able to control how much drink I take if I start to drink one drink. Anybody agree with that? Mm -hmm. And I will never be able on my own power to not drink again. I will drink again if I'm on my own power. The only way I cannot keep from drinking again is to have God's power working in my life. And I can't make the choice not to drink today. I won't be able to follow through on it. The only choice I can make is to seek God who gives me the choice. A lot of people think we make the choice that we're not going to drink today. Well, that's good, but you can't follow through on it because I don't have the power. I'm powerless over alcohol. But there is one who has more power. Who is that? God. And so if I choose to seek God, then God's more powerful than alcohol. And God will keep me from drinking. Anybody agree with that? Good. Commencing to drink after a period of sobriety where in short time is bad as ever. It says if we are planning to stop drinking, there must be no reservation of any kind nor any lurking notion that someday we will be immune to alcohol. So if you're, if you're planning to stop drinking, you can't think that you're ever going to be able to drink again. You have to be completely, uh, have completely smashed the idea that you could ever be like a normal person. What does it say that is? That's the first step in recovery, that you have to fully concede to your innermost selves that you're an alcoholic. The idea that someday, somehow, you'll be able to drink like other people has to be smashed. And a lot of people believe they're alcoholics and they want to stop drinking, but then they get the idea that, you know, they've been sober a while, so, you know, they were sober 90 days, so I can quit any time, and, you know, it wasn't that bad, and <coughs> this and that, and then they drink, and then guess what? They can't control how much they drink, and then they drink all the time, and then they, then they come here again, and then they, you have to be completely defeated by alcohol. 
It's not a volunteer. You don't come here because you've made an intellectual decision. You, you can, but that won't, that's not enough. That won't be enough to help you. You have to have, be completely defeated. You have to be surrendered. You have to see the guns pointing at you. Surrender in, in the first step is not, a, is not a choice. It's something that happens, and you can see it. You see the truth of it. Now, I was surrendered a lot before I could see the truth of it. And then one day I could see the truth, and I could see there was no way out, no hope for me. And I got down on my knees and I asked God to help me. And I'm here today. And it has nothing to do with me. It's all God. Now, I had to do the work. He put people in my life. And I had to be completely willing and I had to be willing to go to any length, but God does the work. I have to put the, put the action in, but the results are from God. And I don't want to forget that, because if I start taking credit for my sobriety, then I'm in trouble. It's all God. Now, why people, some people make it and some people don't. Uh, there are a lot of theories, but they're not defeated. They're not completely defeated. And they, they're not done. And it's a bad disease, because it's a disease that tells you you're not defeated yet. You still got a plan. AA is for people who have no plan anymore. They're completely given up any hope on their own. And then uh, that's why this book is not written for people who are having a bad day. This book is written for people who are completely done and have a hopeless condition of mind and body. And it's not really because this is, it's a seemingly hopeless condition, they say in the uh, introduction, right, to the first, this was written in 1939, that they had a seemingly hopeless condition of mind and body, but they had recovered. And they wrote this book so that they could show exactly what they did and how they had recovered from this disease. And so we're in the chapter more about alcoholism because they're getting us ready to talk about God and our need for God and how we have to start this process of defeating our self-centeredness. And they're putting this chapter more about alcoholism to tell us that we'll never, ever have a defense against the first drink on our own. Never. It's kind of, that's a little humbling, isn't it? But a lot of people don't realize that. And that's what they're telling us. So then it says, young people may be encouraged by this man's experience to think they can stop as he did on their own willpower. See, he did stop on his own willpower because he had a higher power than alcohol. And his higher power of alcohol was his desire to succeed. And once he had succeeded, then he had, you know, and he had gotten what he thought he needed to be happy, then, uh, he was powerless over alcohol. Can you stop on willpower? No. Why not? We're smart. You seem smart. You guys look great. How come you can't stop on your own willpower? What's wrong with you? The reason we can't stop on our willpower is because right before we drink, we can't see it's bad for us. Think about that. At 10 in the morning, you say, I'm never going to drink again. It's killing me. I'm never going to drink again. Five o'clock, you're headed to the liquor store. And on the way to the liquor store, you can't remember that it's killing you. 
You can only think about what's going to do for you, not to you. Do you see that? And so your, your willpower won't work if you can't see at that moment that it's bad. And why can't we see that it's bad? Because we have an obsession of the mind to relieve a life of so living sober, centered on self and not God, and the world doesn't go the way we like. And so we get emotionally disturbed and we learn that alcohol will treat that. And so that's why willpower won't work. So we have to treat the disease, our spiritual illness, and then have a different treatment for our spiritual illness, the spirit, rather than alcohol. Alcohol was called the spirit because it had this power, had mystic juju, right? But it, it, it was the spirit in that it, it changed our emotions. But it stopped working. It stops working at a point, and then it dominates us. And we don't get the relief, and we can't stop drinking. And so AA is about a program to make God the center of your life, and that God will give you the power not to drink. And when God's the center of your life and you're doing his will, your emotions won't get out of sorts like they did when you were running the show. But we're not there yet. That's in steps uh, three, four, and on. But we're getting ready to do that because they want the alcoholic who's reading this to understand that, that they need God's help. And it says, we doubt if many of them can do it because none will really want to stop. And hardly one of them, because of the peculiar mental twist already acquired, will find he can win out. So we have a peculiar mental twist that we acquire that tells us it's okay to drink because it's going to relieve uh, the ease. It's going to give us ease and comfort. And if we're irritable, restless, and discontented, it says in the doctor's opinion, we seek the ease and comfort of alcohol. And, so, and our mind has become damaged. And the reason it's damaged is because when this part of my mind is triggered by my being irritable, restless, and discontent, it triggers that part of my mind that says, get a drink. A drink will fix this. Now, we're not aware of that, but this is what the process is. So when you go to the liquor store, you don't say, well, I swore I'd never drink again at 10 in the morning, and it's killing me. And my wife said she'd leave me, and they're going to fire me from my job. But I'm irritable, restless, and discontent, and I'm living a life self-centered, separated from God. and I'm going to be relieved by my self-centeredness by getting a drink. Could you get me a bottle? You don't do that, do you? <laughs> no, but that's actually what's happened. And so you've triggered this area of your brain that's damaged, that can't see the truth about alcohol. There's only one thing that can work on that area of my brain that's damaged and where I cannot see the truth of alcohol, and that's God. God will say, Michael, bad idea. You don't want to do that. I remember Bill W. was sober six months, uh, one of our founders, and he's in the lobby of the Mayflower Hotel in 1935, and his business deal went through, and he was uh, pretty depressed. And he thought he didn't have any money, he didn't know how he was going to pay the bill, and he thought he heard gay music in the bar. He thought, well, maybe I'll go in there and just sit down. And as he got closer, he said, well, maybe I'll have three drinks. And as he 
got to the threshold, fear gripped him. And he shivered. And that was God. And God said, bad idea, Bill. And he turned away. That was the turning point in, in our recovery when Bill W. turned away in the lobby of the Mayflower Hotel and he went down to the church directory to find some an alcoholic he could talk to. And he didn't have that power, but he had, he had prayed and he had worked the steps best he could. There was no AA at that time. And God said to him, bad idea. And he'll do it for you too. But if you live a God-centered life, your emotions won't get so out of control. And you won't be thinking about drinking. And the obsession will go away. Isn't that great? But you can't take it for granted. You have to keep doing the work of steps four through 11. And it says, uh, several of our crowd, men 30 of less, had been drinking only a few years, but they found themselves as helpless as those who had been drinking 20 years. So it's not really how long you've been drinking or how much, it's whether you've lost the power of choice. Do you understand that? If you've lost the power of choice, you're screwed without this. But this is a book of hope. This is a treasure map to the treasure, which is God, and how God has the has the power to change you and your life and your thinking. It says to be gravely affected, gravely is fatal. One does not necessarily have to drink a long time nor take the quantity some of us have. This is true of women. They didn't think women could be alcoholics in 1935 uh, or six because women uh, uh, didn't go to bars. It wasn't acceptable. And it was a different society then, but they, they did have uh, women start, to, they had one woman come in at the time they wrote this book, and um, I don't think alcohol discriminates. Certain drinkers who would be greatly insulted if called alcoholics are astonished at their inability to stop. And there's this delusion that alcoholics have that they can stop whenever they want. Did you ever make a plan for when you were going to stop? And you were really excited because you're going to quit next week. And then next week comes and you go, well, I'll quit the following week. And you still feel good because you've got a plan, but you can never follow through on it. it it's, it's a, we, we don't tend to talk enough about how bad this disease is, how few people make it. We have a lot of uh, one-year coins and up, but we don't have hardly any 30-day coins left. We've given them all away. 60, 90 days. We keep buying those, right, Stu? But we, we don't have, we haven't had to buy any one-year coins for a long time. Um, it says uh, certain drinkers will be greatly insulted if called the alcoholics. Are astonished at their inability to stop. We are we who are familiar with the symptoms. See, I don't think being an alcoholic is bad. It's, it's, it just means I had the wrong manager and there's something wrong with my body that when I take a drink, I can't control how much I drink. And then I had the wrong manager, me. And so when I led a life where I ran it, things didn't go well and I got irritable, restless, discontented and I found something that would relieve it. The problem is what relieved it, I couldn't stop doing. So, uh, that's a bad disease. So when, 
people are afraid to tell people they're alcoholics, but really, people respect you if you're going to AA. Uh, most people don't understand anything about the disease of alcoholism, and we don't have to explain it to them. We just have to know it for ourselves and be able to help another alcoholic. Does this make sense? We who are familiar with the symptoms see large number of potential alcoholics among young people everywhere, but try and get them to see it. See, in those days, a young person in AA was 40 or 35. But now we have alcoholic addicts and we have a lot of young kids. And it's uh, very, very hard to treat when we have the meth and the alcohol and the, uh, all the cocaine and the heroin now and the fentanyl and all this stuff. It's very, very, very bad disease right now. But it was bad then, but it's bad now. There are very few real pure alcoholics anymore. That people, most people who come in now are mixed addicts or whatever it is, but they have the spiritual disease. So the treatment is, is the same. It's a spiritual illness no matter what you're addicted to. And so we just, uh, we're dealing with people who can suffer the consequences of the disease quicker because of the things they're addicted to. I think that's a good way of saying it. As we look, and like my son died at 22. He died of a drug overdose. I don't know what happened, but in the middle of the night, he, was, uh, he died. And uh, I don't think he intended to, but that's what happened. Took too many drugs. As we look back, we feel we had gone on drinking many years beyond the point where we could quit on our own willpower. If anyone questions whether he has entered this dangerous area, let him try leaving liquor alone for a year. So yeah, that'll just say, I'm not gonna drink for a year. How many alcoholics will be able to go a week? If he is, to, if he is a real alcoholic and very far advanced, there's scant chance of success. In the early days of our drinking, we occasionally remained sober for a year or more, becoming serious drinkers again later. Now there are people who've become to AA and they're sober a year. And when they come back, they tell you, well, you know, I was sober a year. And people can stay sober for quite a long time um, out of fear and out of consequences. But if you're a real alcoholic, it's hard to do that continuously for the rest of your life because you have a spiritual illness and, it, and it's a disease that's treated by a spiritual solution. And <clears throat> and it says, uh, we think few to whom this book will appeal, and this is who they're writing to, can stay dry anything like a year. Some will be drunk the day after making their resolutions, most of them within a few weeks. For those who are unable to drink moderately, the question is how to stop altogether. Now there is this uh, Marty Mann test that some people hear about. It's not a scientific study where uh, she was the first female member of AA, she said, we'll try to just have one drink every night, just drink one drink. Now, she didn't say how many ounces. You know, that's the problem, because talk we're talking to alcoholics, right? And, but the idea was that the phenomena craving will kick in, and you won't be able to do that. The experiment also isn't that you can go seven days without drinking and then have a seven drinks one night. 
that that's not it either. It's the idea, can you control your drinking? If you can control your drinking, you're not an alcoholic. If you can drink wine and be fine or two or three and stop and quit, you're fine. You're not a, that you don't have the disease of alcoholism. Alcoholics are the only people who have the phenomena of craving. Once alcohol enters into this body, there's something happens and we cannot we cannot just stop with one drink. Now we may be able to do it for one night or two nights, but continuously it would be hard to do. I couldn't do it. I'm a real alcoholic. But if you can, you don't need this, just don't drink or just control your drinking. But for those who are unable to drink moderately, the question is how to stop altogether. That's what we're really trying to do, right? We're assuming, of course, that the reader desires to stop. Now, some people come in here and want to stop altogether, but not forever. They have a, they'll stop for a while or maybe five years or something. They have, you have to be, you have to want to stop forever. Dr. Bob used to say, are you done? And if he didn't think they were done, he'd go on to the next person. And you know how you know they're done? You give them things to do and see if they do it. See if they're willing to go to any length. See if they're completely willing to do anything to be relieved of this fatal obsession. Whether, and here it is, whether such a person can quit upon a non-spiritual basis depends upon the extent to which he has already lost the power to choose whether he will drink or not. That's a powerful line. I don't know that I've heard it read at many meetings as the topic. Whether such a person can quit upon a non-spiritual basis depends upon the extent to which he has lost the power to choose whether he will drink or not. So what that means is, if I have lost the power to choose, then I can't quit on a non-spiritual basis. I can't quit on the basis of therapy or group or intensive outpatient uh, management. I can't quit on the basis of self-knowledge or fear. It has to be on a spiritual basis. It has to be on relying and depending on God and letting God be your director and direct your life. And so if you've lost the ability to choose, you have to quit on a spiritual basis. And, and uh, it's right here in the book. I don't know that it's emphasized enough at meetings today. But that we have a disease that uh, only a spiritual experience can conquer this. And it says that, uh, I think in the next chapter, in the beginning of uh, We Agnostics, Many of us had plenty of character, or we were characters. I think I had plenty of character, and I was a character. There was a tremendous urge to cease forever. Does anybody have that? Yet we found it impossible. This is the baffling feature of alcoholism as we know it. This utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or the wish. And that's why to normal people, we seem like crazy people. It's killing you. You can't stop. Why are you drinking again? And you can't explain it to somebody who doesn't have the disease. That's why only one alcoholic can help another alcoholic. Because we can understand. We have the same thing. Are there any alcoholics who are better than any other alcoholics? No. We're all stage four alcoholics when we come in here. You know, now some of us aren't drinking. That doesn't make us better and the alcoholic is still drinking. It just means that I was defeated and I've allowed God to work in my life and taken the action so that he's working in my life. But 
they're not worse than we are. They just they haven't been relieved of the obsession that drank by God, and they haven't been completely defeated. And that doesn't make them worse than us. That's why we should be eternally grateful, those of us sitting in the room tonight, tonight before Thanksgiving, that we're here, we're sober, we don't have to drink tonight. Isn't that a blessing? When people come in, what they want and then what you're given is so much better than what you wanted when you came in. Think about it. We have peace. We have inner peace today. We have serenity. We have the ability to have relationships. We're not obsessed with ourselves and, and drinking anymore. We have a new way of living, a design for living. Who would have thought that? But we have to do some work to get that. But God makes it possible. If we do the work, God makes it possible. We don't do the work, God can't do it. I had a garage that was full of crap for years. And um, I uh, couldn't, couldn't put a car in there. It was, it was completely blocked. So let's say that garage is me. That's my alcoholic mind. And I want God to help me. Well, he can't work in that garage. So uh, I had to get a dumpster. And in two hours, I emptied out that garage that had been full of stuff for 15 years. And the, the steps are where I want God to work in my life, but I have to empty the garage so he can work. And the, emptying the garage is steps four through nine. Step three is a decision to empty your garage. Empty your garage. And then you, you empty it through four through nine, and then you have this relationship with God. And you see him working in your life. Is that a good analogy? And so um, AA is how you clean out your garage. And you allow God to work. And then keep the garage clean. Because if the garage gets cluttered up, then I'll drink again. Because I won't have any power. And it'll be subtle. I'll put a few things in, and then a few things in. Maybe I won't go to meetings, or I won't pray, I won't finish the steps, I won't call the sponsor. And then the garage gets fuller and fuller, and all of a sudden, you can't get the car in there. So we don't want to do that, do we? And it says, um, so it's baffling. People don't understand this. Now, Having said this, if you tell somebody you go in AA, they respect you immediately. They think it's great because it means that you've, you're trying to find a solution for this baffling problem. How then shall we help our readers determine to their own satisfaction whether they're one of us? So if you're reading the book, you want to know if you're one of them. Because if you're one of them, if you do what they did, you'll have what they have and you'll have recovered from alcoholism. Now, if you don't have what they have, then you don't need to do it. The experiment of quitting for a period of time will be helpful, but we think we can render an even greater service to alcoholic sufferers and perhaps to the medical fraternity. So here's what they're going to do in this chapter. They're going to describe some of the mental states that precede a relapse in the drinking. Now, a relapse is, is, is to suffer deterioration, to slide back. And they're going to describe the mental states that precede this. And why are they doing that? Because it says, obviously, this is the crux of the problem. How can an alcoholic completely defeated, 
Who knows he's going to die if he drinks anymore, lose everything. What's the mental state that precedes that person drinking again? And they're going to describe it to us. And so what thinking, sort of thinking dominates an alcoholic who repeats time after time the desperate experience of, experiment of the first drink. Notice the word desperate. Friends who have reasoned with him after spree, which has brought him to the point of bankruptcy or divorce, are mystified when he walks directly into his saloon. Why does he or what is he thinking? Excuse me. And remember, it's a disease of our thinking. The disease centers in my mind. Alcohol is not the problem. The problem is my thinking. And my thinking separated from God. My thinking separated from God is self-centered. And then I don't like the way the world's treating me. And I get angry. Anybody get angry? Fearful? Irritable? Upset? Anybody do things that they feel guilty about? And all that then creates these emotions. And I say, I, I need to relieve that and have a drink. But a lot of times, uh, for most of us, we can't really even understand it. We just can't stop drinking. Was anybody like that? Just towards the end, just couldn't stop drinking every day? So it's a progressive disease. It doesn't get better. The more you drink, it doesn't get better. If you don't think so, keep drinking. So I've never seen anybody come back to AA and say, boy, it was great. I had a great time. It just doesn't happen. It's a terrible disease. It's horrible. That's why I'm here tonight. I don't want to ever, ever be left without the power of choice from God. And um, I think, should we do Jim or should we quit here and talk? Why don't we quit here? Uh, we'll pick up with Jim, which is my favorite story, until we get to the next story, which is the Jaywalker, which is my next favorite. And then we get to Fred, which is my real favorite. So we're going to go through these examples in the book of the mental states to precede the relapse and the drinking. And then we're getting ready to go to the final paragraph of page 43. And it says, once more, so they've, they've done 43 pages in doctor's opinion to get the reader, the, the real alcoholic who's reading this, to understand that the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink. And when is a certain time? You don't know. See, that's the problem. You can't plan ahead and say, at that certain time, I'm going to be OK. That's not how it works. It means all of a sudden, there'll be a time when all of a sudden you're drinking again. It says, and it, no effective mental defense against the first drink. So you can write down triggers. That's very popular. Write down your triggers. Carry around the list of your triggers so that when you see a trigger, you won't drink. The problem is there's only one trigger for an alcoholic, being awake. Because if you're awake, you have no power over alcohol. See, triggers implies that I can have some power to look at the trigger and evaluate and say, no, I'm not going to drink. But I don't have that kind of power. Now, if you have that kind of power, then that'll work. That'll be good for you. It says, except in a few rare cases, neither he nor any other human being can provide a defense. 
It says no human power can relieve our alcoholism. Have you ever heard that? His defense must come from a higher power. And it's a relationship with the higher power. It's a state of being connected. It's conscious contact with your higher power. What's the only problem an alcoholic has? We only have one problem. Isn't that amazing? Our problem is we have conscious separation from God. That means consciously in my mind, I separate from God into this world that really doesn't exist except in my head where I am God. And I'm playing God and running the world. And until I get into the real world where God's running it, there's no hope for me. And the steps are how I go from this world to staying in this world. And when I'm in that world, I won't drink because God will tell me bad idea and I'll have his power. So, Chuck C. said we have one problem, conscious separation from God, and one solution, conscious contact. And step 11 says sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God, asking only for knowledge of his will for me and the power to carry that out. So all, AA is very simple. How do I serve God? How do I carry out his will every day and stay in contact with him? And if I do that, then I don't have to worry about willpower because I'll have God's power. Okay, we'll stop there. And uh, we'll pick it up on Saturday with uh, uh, Jim.